Well, good afternoon and welcome to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. It's a wonderful prophecy in the Old Testament in Ezekiel in which we are promised that I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the stony heart from their bodies and replace it with a natural heart so that they will live according to my statutes and obey, observe and carry out my ordinances. Thus they shall be my people and I will be their God. The Old Testament promise that pointed forward to the time of the coming of Christ in the establishment of his church on which through the graces that we receive from Christ as a result of his death and resurrection, as well as the gift of the Holy Spirit and the gift of his graces through the sacraments, we are changed. We become a part of his body, the church. And as a result, we no longer have the stony heart of our impertinent pride, but we become the people that he intended us to be by grace. So we're going to talk about today, we're going to look at Ezekiel and Romans. And these are the verses that our guest today has chosen. On this radio program, we invite someone to join us to talk about the verses they never saw, or some verses that were particularly inspirational in their journey to follow Jesus Christ, and to bring them home to, the, to his church, the Catholic Church. And our guest today is Scott McDermott. Scott is a friend. He's been on the Journey Home program several times. Scott was born in Hannibal, Missouri in 1968, grew up in western Kentucky after spending his adolescence and as the self-proclaimed, quote, village atheist, unquote. Scott converted to Catholicism while studying at Cornell University in Ithaca, New York. He's received in the church at Easter 1992. Afterwards, he taught at St. John the Baptist Elementary School in Brooklyn, New York, in 1997, Scott moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where he worked in the Vanderbilt University Library. In his spare time, John Scott pursued a vocation as an independent historian, and uh, Scepter Press published his biography of the only Catholic signer of the Declaration of Independence. The book was entitled Charles Carroll of Carrollton, Faithful Revolutionary. Scott has appeared on EWTN's The Journey Home. He's with me uh, in 2003 as well as in 2006. 2007, well, Scott felt called to uh, write history full-time, so he's now studying for his Ph.D. in American history at St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. He's a member of the Society of Catholic Social Scientists, and his article entitled Orestes Bronson and the Contract of Government appeared in the most recent issue of the Catholic Social Science Review. He has been blessed with eight God children. And so it's great to have Scott join us today. I, I read this, the short bio that's up on the website, deepinscripture.com. If you go there, you can find out more information about the Coming Home Network International as well as uh, today's program. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a question for Scott once he comes on the line, uh, you can call me at 800 664 5110. You can also call the regular Coming Home Network. Phone number 740-450-1175. Or you can send us an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. Oh, and if you go to the website, you can also click on a link that will allow you to watch this program live because the whole staff is here broadcasting this on the Internet. The scriptures that Scott chose for us to examine today are very, very important significant verses because they talk about 
change and the change that our life can go through and does go through, both as a result of the work of God's grace as well as the surrender of our pride, the surrender of our sinfulness, the surrender of our will. It's that wonderful partnership between God and his mercy and our willful decision to follow, to respond to grace. And the first, I'll read them, and then we'll take a break, and Scott will join us. The first passage comes from Ezekiel chapter 11, 17 through 20. I will gather you from the nations and assemble you from the countries over which you have been scattered, and I will restore to you the land of Israel. They shall return to it and remove from it all its detestable abominations. I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the stony heart from their bodies and replace it with a natural heart, so they will live according to my statutes and observe and carry out my ordinances. Thus they shall be my people, and I will be their God. The second passage of these chosen comes from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And this particular chapter, 8, follows immediately upon a chapter in which St. Paul has has really opened, opened up the struggle that he has living out the Christian life. He's been very candid about knowing how he's supposed to live, but then not doing it. And he struggles with the sin that is within him. And he recognizes only salvation is in Jesus Christ. And then in chapter 8, he talks about this new life that we have in Christ. And beginning with verse 14, Paul writes, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption through which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If only we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host, and you hear us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Do not forget to watch the Journey Home program with Marcus Grodi on EWTN. Each week, Marcus meets new guests who have journeyed to the Catholic faith from many backgrounds. Be challenged and encouraged as they witness how their love for the truth of Jesus Christ has brought them into full communion with the Catholic Church. That's the Journey Home program on EWTN, live on Monday evenings at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. If you enjoy the Journey Home television program on EWTN, you'll want to purchase a copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home. Journey's Home contains the conversion stories of men and women who, as a result of their surrender to Jesus Christ, heard a call to follow him more completely in the Catholic Church. Many of them were Protestant pastors or missionaries. Others were laymen who, though working in secular jobs, took their calling to serve Christ in the world very seriously. To order your copy of Marcus Grodi's book, Journey's Home, simply visit our website at www.chresources.com or call us toll-free at 1-800-664-5110. 
Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host for this program. And today we're joined by Scott McDermott, who's coming to us from St. Louis. Hello, Scott. Hello, Marcus. How are you? Well, I'm great, and it's uh, great to have you join us on the program. Um, okay. I, I didn't realize until I read the bio again, just to, to kind of get us caught up. I haven't seen you in a couple years, um, that you're doing this Ph.D. program in history. That's pretty neat. Uh, it's been wonderful. You know, God has really blessed me so much uh, with this. Uh, uh, it's almost like, it's been almost like a second childhood, you know. And uh, <laughs> but it blessed me so abundantly with uh, a great Catholic community here. Uh, you know, with uh, a great environment at St. Louis University and uh, uh, wonderful, wonderful friends and very supportive Catholic community. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, before we jump into the verse, I'd love to ask you a couple history questions, uh, just more theoretical. You know, Newman, John Henry Cardinal Newman, made that statement to become deep in history is to cease to be Protestant. And, you know, there's a lot of historians out there that are very well informed, but they're not Catholics. And I wonder from your experience, first of all, did you find Newman's statement to be true? Well, um, you know, I think history is simply the unfolding of the working of the Spirit of God in individuals and sometimes, you know, how individuals fail or fall short in, in, uh, in following the Spirit of God. But still, you know, in spite of all the twistings and turnings, you see, uh, you see the workings of divine providence and you see the clear patterns of human behavior based on the natural law. So, um, so yeah, I, I think being Catholic is, is a great, great, very beneficial to being, a, to being a historian. And certainly in our department, that, you know, is very much in evidence. But uh, <laughs> it's 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 not it hasn't been recognized yet in uh, sure. history departments across the country. Let's put it that way. So, well, the one thing I've as I've been doing, I love history. Uh, I'm I'm not worthy to be called a historian, but I love reading history because it was maybe one of the key things that brought me into the Catholic faith. It, it at first in my reading of history, especially the early Church Fathers, is what as Newman said, I could no longer be Protestant. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more reading helped me see the truth of the Catholic faith. It also helped me see more clearly the warts of the Catholic faith, you know, you and me, right? I mean, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the Catholic Church is a hospital of sinners, and here we are. Um, but another question about history, Scott. Uh, the other problem that I have with history, though, is trying to find books on history. And I, I encourage this to our audience. You go to any bookstore, and the history sections are huge. But how do you find historians you can trust who are not shaping the data with their spin? I mean, how do you detect that? Uh, well, um, you know, there's still a few great historians out there, like, well, for instance, our department, uh, Dr. Jim Hitchcock uh, springs to mind. Uh, oh, of course. And, uh, but, you know, I typically, though, when I read history, I tend to go to the, the, the neglected classics and, uh, you know, dust those off and look at those first, because there's a great deal of uh, trendiness in the historical profession today, and people run after the latest new theory or the latest new um, concepts. But I think that uh, when, you, when you look back to the real great, uh, the great historians of the past who were not you know, necessarily grinding an ideological axe. Um, 
that you can you can start to get start to get closer to real you know real historical erudition as opposed to simply you know the ads that we see uh, yeah. so often today. And uh, and I'm wondering, given our problems we have today with the political environment we're in and and other directions that our cultures are taking, that maybe the biggest dearth that we have in our country are, are people who really have studied history before the modern era and really see the trajectory that we're on and the way it was played out in the past. Well, I think that young people are actually still interested in history. I mean, in recent years, we've seen a great explosion of books, for instance, about the founding fathers of the United States. Yep. I think people are concerned about the way the country's going, and they want to try to, you know, go back to the sources, go back to the roots, figure out uh, what what it was meant to be at the origin. So I think that the desire is out there, but it's just a matter of fighting against current ac- academic orthodoxies and trying to, uh, you know, get back to the point where we can do history with some, some integrity. Yeah. Well, well, God bless you and your, your work. <laughs> uh, and like you said, it's like a second childhood. I wish I was doing that. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> that's what I read almost every time I have a moment to read is some kind of history, whether it's fiction or nonfiction. I love historical fiction, too. I mean, it's just, it's just it really connects with my faith, too, to see how God, as you said, the Holy Spirit works out in, in history, uh, his plan. All right, Scott, you chose for us um, a, a nice, beautiful Old Testament passage and, an, and a nice New Testament passage, maybe just in general at first. Why would you like these passages? Well, I mean, both of these passages have been tremendously influential in my life. You know, I mean, I should say, first of all, that pretty much all the verses in the Bible were verses I never knew, (laughs) because when I first came to the Catholic faith, uh, I was an atheist, and I had not read the Bible since I was a small child, and so it was all new to me. And uh, as I began to explore, you know, these, these two verses, I think, really spoke to me, very, very deeply and personally, and it, you know, it has to do primarily with my personal story, which uh, which I had explained on the journey home. But it, you know, in a nutshell, I was an atheist, and I was also involved in the gay lifestyle for several years. Um, this was, you know, going into through my undergraduate years of college prior to my conversion, and um, I was, you know, I fit the description of the the person in this passage before conversion, you know, that I had a very stony heart, you know, that I think people have an image of people like me who struggle with same-sex attraction, and they think, oh, they're very gentle, they're very kind, and so forth, but, you know, sometimes uh, that is uh, a facade, and really what you have just beneath the surface, if you scratch the surface, is this stony heart. You have a lot of anger, you have a lot of resentment at you know, real or perceived ill treatment by uh, other males, particularly if you're a male. Um, you have a lot of hostility and fear of women, uh, especially. And uh, it becomes, you know, the heart has has become cold and, and stony and almost almost dead, you know. And, and, and I think my personality at the time, you know, before my conversion was, I mean, all the emotions I had really ever experienced, I think, were anger and fear and a certain kind of perverse or very imperfect love, you know. But um, underneath, there was this, this natural heart that was uh, struggling to, to come out, to emerge. And, you know, that only happened when I experienced Christ through the Catholic Church. 
And then, you know, I think you know, Christ began the process of excavating my stony heart, you know, and uh, as, the, as the passage says, replacing it with a natural heart. And, um, you know, it's very interesting, I think, the language that Ezekiel is using here. You know, for modern ears, it sounds very dramatic, almost like a heart transplant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, as if you're replacing one heart with another. And, and of course, we know in our Catholic tradition that um, God doesn't destroy or uh, eliminate our nature, our human nature, um, by grace. The grace builds on nature, of course. You know, but in my case, um, and I think in the case of anyone who's been blinded by sin, that there has to be a a process of eliminating all of those uh, things that have accreted um, because of our sins, because of our fears and our anxieties and so forth, and getting down to the real uh, the real human nature, the nature that's oriented towards uh, towards God, and so that you know that's why this. This passage is so important to me in, in describing that process, which is uh, uh, can feel kind of scary. You know, you get sure. we get so used to our our habits and the way that we are, and we become so addicted to uh, even our even negative things like our anxieties and fears that we almost think we can't live without them. And when God takes those away and and, and restores us to real, authentic human life, you know, it, it feels strange, and and for a while, sometimes you almost don't feel. Um, like himself, and that's why I think Ezekiel's describing this in such dramatic terms because it feels like you've gotten a totally new heart, well, even though God is really renovating your old, your your true natural heart, breaking away stuff you know that shouldn't be there, so that the real heart that was always there, empowered by grace, can can flourish. Right, and you know the, it, it's very interesting applying this passage to the struggles that you had and uh, and what you've come out of and giving our, our modern cultural views on these things because this passage, from beginning to end, talks about conversion. And yet our culture, dealing with the problem and issue that you were called about, does not believe in the possibility of conversion. In other words... Well, recently our, our president even uh, made a statement publicly. Um, the issue was the, the no-tell thing in the, in the military, remember, a couple weeks ago, a month or so ago. And he made a public statement that said that our country will be a country in which, pre- which no one will experience prejudice for what they are. He makes that public statement. There'll be no prejudice for what a person is. And, you know, we're dealing with an issue here that's not what a person, I mean, they ask, I like your opinion on this. You know, if, if a person's black or white, that's what they are. And they shouldn't be pre, uh, prejudiced against because of what they are, male or female, what they are. But we're talking about not what a person is, but what they think they are, what they feel they are. And yet our modern culture has elevated that, the, the way a person feels about themselves therefore defines what they are. Right, and you know, this, this is really fascinating and deep. Um, this passage is about, uh, partly about divine law when he's talking about uh, statutes and ordinances, but it's also about God's ordinances that are part of the natural law. Yep. And this natural law is the norm you know, for every human person, and part of the natural law is the natural desire of, of man for woman in, in marriage. Yep. Um, 
and so so this is human nature. This is the human norm. Uh, when gay activists um, plead their cause, you know, as I used to do, uh, what they say is they use a similar kind of argument. Actually, they're appropriating this this natural law language for their own purposes, and they're saying that no. Um, you have to accept. You have to affirm my actions because this is my nature. This is somehow wired into me um, by God. Sometimes even people yeah. go so far as to say this is the way God made me. And um, I think you know from my own from my own experience and and from the great body of literature that's out there about <laughs> about homosexuality and what causes it. You know, it's just a matter of humility. Uh, everybody in their lives, you know, whether they have this problem or some other addiction or problem, has, you know, something broken, some way in which they fall short of the norm or they struggle to reach that ethical norm of, of the natural law of human nature. Um, and the point is that when we, when we fall short, we simply humbly admit that I'm broken in that particular place. And uh, we have to have the humility to go to God and ask for his forgiveness and his help to uh, to lead good lives and to and to help us with those temptations that we have. Uh, but what's happened is that people have taken something that is, um, you know, a temptation and a condition that should be treated with compassion, and they've elevated it into not only a lifestyle but a complete identity. Yeah. Uh, our identity is that we are children of God. You know, that is that is my identity. You know, um, I don't identify as you know, I mean, as I used to do as gay, homosexual, I don't identify as ex-gay or what have you. The point is that I, my identity is that of a, of a son of God, an adopted son of the Most High God. I am a child of God. And so I am striving to, um, to be, become who I really am as a son of God. And in that process, there is a great deal of change involved. You know, and God, we don't want to put limits on God's power. God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. God can change people yeah. uh, when he wants to. Usually in this, in this case, he chooses not to make a miraculous, you know, instant conversion, but to uh, help people through a process of prayer and therapy to um, develop more natural human emotions, to develop that natural heart and uh, to change, and often to develop uh, attraction for the opposite sex. But it's also true that typically the uh, attraction for the same sex remains to some degree, but it's, it's a process, it's a process that well, God is loving us and leading us by the hand through. Well, and Scott, let me, let me push that a little bit, because I, I do believe, and maybe this is just my personal view, but I do believe that one of the greatest in, in the negative sense, things that the devil accomplished in the 20th century was in the alienation that he established between people of all connections, you know, adult to adult, adult to child, child to child, man to man, man to woman, woman to woman, I mean, priest to, to child. I mean, the, the, the alienations that are there and what it's done, it's prevented suspicions there, you know, now suspect, everybody's suspect. And uh, our feelings become suspect because, I mean, just me, let me boldly say that the idea of same-sex attraction in the old days wasn't bad at all. It's just that in the 20th century, it was made erotic. In the past, I mean, you read the stories, intimate stories of John Henry Cardinal Newman and the other men in the 
um, uh, in, in the oratory and that the movement that he was a part of, you read their letters and they were extremely intimate in their love for one another, but it wasn't erotic. It was called friendship. The deep friendship that a man can feel, be willing to die for another man because he loves that other man or a woman for another woman. That was normal, that was a part of the natural law. It's just that in the 20th century, it became connected with eroticism. And in the process, it's destroyed friendships. Exactly. I mean, that's one of the most tragic consequences of the homosexual movement um, and the eroticization of, 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 of normal male friendship. And this uh, is a vicious cycle. You see, and it, it gets worse and worse, because as the homosexual movement becomes more prominent, men, I think, become more fearful of yep. friendship, and they become more repressed in their feelings. And sometimes even fathers are afraid to show affection to their son because they don't want them, that son to turn out to be gay. Well, that is exactly how you, uh, how you cause it to your son being gay. It's by never showing affection and never, never being honest with your heart, you know. And so, um, you know, what, what is the path out of that? You know, we have to have, uh, I think, a, a rebirth of authentic spiritual friendships, yes. you know, as the writings of the saints describe, you know, God has blessed me with this, you know, I have a great best friend, Adam, and many very close friends here and, and elsewhere who have been wonderfully, wonderfully supportive. So this is a, uh, uh, you know, this is the, we have to rediscover the, the potential of that. That's right. And we're in a culture that, of course, like I just said, wants to uh, fight against it. And anyone that speaks against um, the way the culture is going, then pretty soon we're labeled or even arrested. I've got a good friend in, in England, and if they were to speak out, just publicly print the church's view on homosexuality, homosexuality excuse me, they would be put in prison. I mean, that's where yeah. things are moving. And uh, But as you pointed out, this Ezekiel passage talks about not merely a person spending the rest of their life saying, well, this is just the way that I am, and so I spend, you know, uh, and I spend the rest of my life by grace suppressing that. Ezekiel talks about, no, the old is gone, the new has come. And yeah. that's the good news of the, of the New Testament. We'll take a break now, Scott. When we come back, maybe another thought on Ezekiel, if you have one, and then we'll move on into the Romans passage and talk about how that wonderful message of St. Paul describes your own conversion. Come back in a moment. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grodi, joined today by Scott McDermott, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network. Next time on Life on the Rock, many great authors and playwrights have used irony in their writings, getting their point across in an often humorous way. Tune in when Anthony Esselin joins Doug and Father Mark to talk about the ironies in faith. That's on the next Life on the Rock, only on EWTN. Life on the Rock is seen and heard around the world on EWTN. For dates and times in your area, log on to EWTN.com. Written by Carl Adam, Roots of the Reformation gives a historically sensitive and accurate analysis of the cases of the Reformation that stands as a valid and sometimes unsettling challenge to the presuppositions of Protestants and Catholics alike. 
This valuable resource is a powerful summary of the issues that led to the Reformation and their implications today. To order a copy of this book for yourself or a friend, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or call us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Groda. I am joined today by Scott McDermott. Scott, during the break, I, I reread that Ezekiel passage thinking about some of the things that we were talking about, especially your own journey. And it, it really amazes me what this passage says when you, when you apply it to the conversion that can happen out of the aberrant lifestyle that you were talking about. I'm going to read it again just for those people listening that don't have a Bible in front of them. And and just listen to this again and think about the need, the way it talks about not just conversion, and authentic conversion and change from within, but reestablishing in your life values that are in line with God. He said, I will gather you from the nations and assembly, assemble you from the countries over which you have been scattered, and I will restore you to the land of Israel. They shall return to it and remove from it all its detestable abominations. I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove the stony heart from their bodies and replace it with a natural heart so that they will live according to my statutes and observe and carry out my ordinances. Thus they shall be my people and I will be their God. You know, Scott, it talks about the not just the replacement of a, of a hard heart with a, a more open, natural heart, but the, the putting of the new spirit within, you know, the indwelling of God, that, that's that grace that enables you to be changed. Did you experience that in your journey in a very powerful way? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, again, it was a complete um, change. And uh, and change can be scary, but it's also it was also incredibly liberating. You know, like I said, I was very repressed, very fearful, and you know what I experienced was that God was sharing His Spirit with me, making me His adopted son, and I experienced my masculinity in a in a totally different way. You know, I became a great deal healthier, more straightforward in my relations with other people. You know, I was able to to have friendships, and I was also able to relate you know, much better to the opposite sex, you know, because that's really, you know, when you talk about the natural heart, you know, most most people with this condition are, are shutting out half of humanity, <laughs> you know, right. that God has created. And, and so learning to experience myself as a man, you know, and being able to relate to women as women was, uh, was an incredibly powerful thing, you know, and uh, also in the repercussions for the spiritual life, because when you grow up with a lot of hostility to other males or fear of women, you know, you're going to project that onto God and uh, Our Lady as well, you know, and so it's spiritually also, it was, I wasn't able to grow in that, but um, like I said, you know, it, it's it's a scary but, but deeply fulfilling process. You mentioned Cardinal Lumen a couple times, and yeah. my favorite quote from him is, is you know, the, the quote when he said, um, to live is to change, and to be perfect is to have changed often. <laughs> You know, and, yeah. and that's 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 hard for us because, like I said, you know, we cling to our old habits and our old uh, patterns. But there, you know, this is a process of stepping out into the unknown yeah. 
and uh, you know, like Pope John Paul talks about the theology of the body, that's that's part of our natural heart too. You know, we reach out for the unknown um, in the opposite a person of the opposite sex. Again, this is my personal opinion. Uh, I'm not speaking for the church here, but you know, just what you said is one of the reasons why I have a problem with many of the self-help programs that our culture promotes to help people break from addictions because often those programs believe that you can't change and they basically tell a person that whatever it is they're addicted to that's their addiction for the rest of their life and their goal is basically to suppress it rather than opening the possibility for everything you've just talked about in Ezekiel right right and of course you know I don't we don't want to put in some kind of expectation on people and say that you must change because that's up to God, you know. I mean, it's not not everyone who has this condition is going to even develop any level of um, attraction to people of the opposite sex. Not necessarily. Often that does happen with therapy and prayer. But if it doesn't happen, well, God is then asking that person to carry that cross, uh, and that that cross has to be honored. You know, the suffering as the Catechism of the Catholic Church truly teaches. You know, this even this suffering. Um, to the extent that it's unwanted, can be offered up um, for for souls, you know, like any other type of suffering. So we don't, you know, we don't we we don't want to we want to stay within the Catholic tradition and say suffering is valuable. However, we don't want to put limits on God's power either. Yeah, I'm going to quote if I can grab it really quick here a verse that I know I've mentioned many times in this program, but it just amazes me how important it is. It's in the opening paragraph of. Second Corinthians, which Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, this offering up of the struggle that we've recognized, yet by grace we've been changed, we offer it up for all those other people that for whatever reason, can't break free from it. That grace can work in their lives. Because you've been given unique experience that prepares you, Scott, for an ability to minister and have empathy for others that go through unique struggles that maybe other people quite can't quite fathom or appreciate. Well, it's been a real blessing, and, you know, many people have contacted me after the times I was on the journey home, and I've made some, you know, some wonderful friends there, and, and um, through that, and, you know, it, it has been a blessing to be able to, to be with other people on that on that journey. And again, you know, not everyone is going to change all, all the way or, or, or develop opposite-sex attraction, but I guarantee you people will change in some way. They will, um, they will change, they will develop as Christians and as men. Yeah. Uh, or women. And let me, before we move on to the Romans passage, I want to just remind the audience of the phone number and email, because if you have a question for Scott, or maybe it wouldn't be uh, able to bring on the air, but you would love to contact Scott, call us or send us an email, and we'll make sure he gets your, your information. The phone number is 800-664-5110. The regular Coming Home Network number is 740-450-1175. Or you can send me an email at marcus, M-A-R-C-U-S, at deepinscripture.com. All right, Scott, let's move on to the, the great passage from Romans. Let me read it again, just again for the audience that may not have the scriptures in front of them. Romans eight fourteen through 17. 
For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received a spirit of adoption, through which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if only we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. All right, Scott, talk about this verse and why it meant so much to you. Um, well, you know, <laughs> primarily that term, Father, you know, that yeah. I think that people are, um, you know, who struggle with the same-sex attraction are constantly looking for uh, a father, you know, and that this natural desire for a father sometimes leads people to idolize um, creatures uh, instead of seeking the true father that we that, that we have access to through faith, uh, our Lord, you know. And uh, St. Paul, I mean, begins the letter to the Romans, actually, in chapter 1, by talking about this, you know, and saying that, um, you know, he describes how some people have exchanged their natural uh, desires for the opposite sex for unnatural lust for people of the same sex, and he links this to, you know, explicitly to idolatry. And uh, then he goes on in subsequent chapters to develop the concept of slavery to sin. And, you know, based on my own, my own experience, that's what the gay lifestyle was. It was a complete idolatry of other males um, and a sense of real enslavement to them, you know, and, and sometimes through, you know, very, you know, deeply degrade, in a deeply degrading way to um, have no self-esteem, you know, had to have no sense of myself as a son, as a man, but to, um, to enslave myself to other males uh, in hopes of gaining, you know, what I felt like I, you know, had lacked, you know, that, that fatherly love. And um, basically, you know, and it's such a self-destructive process, but what we see in the verse here, chapter 8, is that you know, God freely gives us, you know, he, he removes from us that spirit of slavery yep. <laughs> and transplants into us that spirit of sonship. And it's a free gift, and it's so easy. You know, it doesn't require any um, uh, that, uh, you know, of that agony that I went through in the gay lifestyle, trying to find something that I absolutely could not find that was impossible to find there. You know, but uh, when I turned to Christ, you know, He gave, you know, He He gave me Himself um, freely and gave me this um, divine Father who I had always been seeking, uh, and restored me and elevated me to the status of sonship and made me part of the family. You know, that's been the most beautiful mm-hmm. thing about this. You know, that I left what I thought was the family, the gay community, um, but really, you know, and so there was a sacrifice or experienced as a sacrifice that had to be made there. But what God has given me since I came into the Church has been has been a hundredfold greater, you know, that sounds, you know, a true family of people that really, you know, who really have respected me and accepted me, um, you know, for who I am, without me having to, um, you know, to degrade myself like I was doing in the gay lifestyle, pleading for this love and affection. You know, I'm wondering, Scott, um, there are many differences between the Catholic way of looking at the walk with Christ and the non-Catholic or Protestant way of looking at abiding or walking with Christ. And in many ways, as Protestants, I taught and believed when I was a minister. I believed in grace 
And I believe that grace was something that I received as a free gift that, that accomplished all that you talked about in Romans 8. Um, and, and that it was my surrender to Christ that this change came about and grace came in and changed me. And as Catholics, we believe all that. But the main significant difference is that as Catholics, we believe that one of the most powerful channels of this grace is the liturgy and the sacraments, particularly confession and the Eucharist. Did you find in your own life that the power of the graces of the sacraments had a particularly important part in your journey, your, your, your transformation? Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I had shared on the show how difficult that was for me at first, because, again, when I came into the Catholic Church, I still had the stony heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I had a very strong negative reaction to, uh, for instance, that Eucharistic adoration sometimes, because, again, I was projecting my, um, my angry or hurt feelings, you know, about other males onto Jesus. And uh, it took me a while to, to get over that. And, uh, you know, now, you know, when I experience, you know, I simply experience it as going into the presence of my father um, and, you know, my, my brother, my best friend in heaven, and I'm just, uh, it simply is where that adoption takes place, where I experience it as a, um, you know, a real, a real living touch by God, you know, a real living um, embrace and, and, and adoption. Because it really does involve a surrender when we... I mean, Protestants, we always talk about an altar call, Catholic altar calls when we come forward and we say amen to the, the reality of, of Jesus in the Eucharist. That involves a surrender of our lives. Yes, absolutely. And um, it's so remarkable, you know, and then we carry that with us always, too, you know, that there's so many ways in which we experience the, the spiritual presence of God and, and His empowerment, you know. And again, this is not something that I... Uh, deserved, you know, on any human level, but it's something that, um, you know, I've, you know, God has given me the grace to cooperate with His grace to receive, um, to receive, to receive Him, and to be lifted up into the sonship in such a way that even though I'm, I'm still have many faults and many temptations, um, you know, I have no doubt though that for some reason God has chosen me to be a part of the family, and in so many ways, uh, he shows me that, you know, he makes makes everything so smooth for me. And so again, you know, in a certain sense, the struggle is ongoing, um, you know, at the last verse of this passage, you know, if only we suffer with him, so that we may be also be glorified with him. There's always going to be some suffering, some level of temptation, some level of misunderstanding by other people uh, who can't appreciate, you know, where you've been and where you're going, but um, it's, you know, the the reward, (laughs) even in this life, has been so much, you know, so much greater than the loss that there's no comparison. We're going to take our last break, and uh, in fact, I'd like when we get back to talk more about that last verse, if only we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him, about uh, the, I mean, that's a part of the walk. That's that's a part of the walk. Uh, Let's talk about that when we get back. You're listening to Deep in Scripture. This is your host, Marcus Grota. I am joined by Scott McDermott, and you're hearing us on EWTN, your global Catholic radio network.
The Coming Home Network International is a non-profit Catholic lay apostolate dedicated to helping Protestant clergy and laity come home to the Catholic Church. It was founded by Marcus Grodi, the host of this program, as well as the Journey Home television program on EWTN. If you are on the journey and interested in learning more about the Coming Home Network International or know someone who's thinking of becoming Catholic, please visit our website, www.chnetwork.org, or contact us at 1-800-664-5110. Welcome back to Deep in Scripture. This is Marcus Grodi, your host. Uh, Our guest today is Scott McDermott. Scott, that passage... um, it's that, that last line of this it talks about that we receive the spirit of adoption, uh, that the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, joint heirs with Christ. And then there's the if-then clause. If only we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified him. talks about the necessity of suffering in our walk with Christ. Talk a little bit more about that. If you would, yeah. Well, in in my case, you know, it really has to do with humility. You know, again, the humility to admit that I have a problem. <laughs> you know, maybe it's not the other ninety eight percent of the human race that has <laughs> problems, uh, but I'm the one who's a little out of sync with uh, the natural order as God designed it. You know, and so there's a certain humility there uh, to admit, just to admit that I am suffering. You know, again. Yeah. People are so afraid of suffering that they militantly deny it. You know, if you listen to gay activists, you know, no, I'm perfectly okay. You know, I'm very happy with who I am. And there's there's so much denial uh, about even, you know, just what we're feeling, you know, just really what we're going through. But, um, you know, sometimes, though, people have that moment of clarity. They bottom out and they realize that, uh, yes, I really am suffering. So that's uh, one way in which uh, suffering is key, just to lead us to the humility to admit that we need God's help. Um, but I was going to say sometimes uh, with that too, that people when they have to f- they face forks in the road and they've got to choose A or B, that often they choose which is the least avenue of suffering versus which is right. Absolutely. And believe me, and again, anyone who has any kind of problem uh, in this world, which is everybody in the world, (laughs) is going to have to experience some degree of suffering. And this is where, you know, I think especially, you know, people with my condition are are incredibly good at self-pity. You know what I mean? And what we try to do is elevate our suffering as if it were the only suffering (laughs) or, you know, the ultimate suffering somehow, you know. And, And, of course, that's ludicrous because, you know, people experience all kinds of horrible suffering in their lives. You know, you might have a a wife who dies of breast cancer or a child who dies of leukemia or something like that. You know, that's that's real suffering. And a lot of times, and our suffering is real too, but a lot of times we magnify it in our minds um, and we turn it into a really occasion of self-pity so that we become paralyzed. And the point is to admit humbly that I have this problem, I have this suffering, and then to allow God to lift us up into this sonship so that then we say, no, well, even though I have this, though, God, somehow you still love me anyway, and you you are lifting me up, and you will continue to lift me 
up and give me the grace to persevere um, through this. There's that passage in Galatians that Paul uses to describe, in a way, the summary of everything you've been talking about, Galatians 2.20, you know, where he says, and I know you're familiar with this passage, he says, for I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Does that describe your journey? Does the I who lived before no longer live in you? Well, I mean, it's definitely a process of uh, death. That old self, again, you know, scraping away all the things that are encrusting that the heart, you know, and getting to the natural heart. And, you know, I'm glad you brought up Galatians, because there's another passage in Galatians, beginning of chapter 4, that's really parallel to this Mm -hmm. passage in Romans 8. Um, if you don't mind, I'll just I'll just read it really quick. No, fine, that, go ahead. Yeah, uh, chapter 4, Galatians. Uh, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no better than a slave, though he is the owner of all the estate. But he is under guardians and trustees until the date set by the Father. So with us, when we were children, we were slaves to the elemental spirits of the universe. But when the time had fully come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And so, I mean, what you see here is, um, I think, the human kind of childhood, you know, where, you know, with me I had a very childish, selfish, unevolved emotions, and I was a slave to sin. Uh, But when we receive the Son, significantly born of a woman, um, who redeems us from this, we receive adoption as, as sons in the fullest sense. You know, then we become true sons of our Father. We're enabled uh, to leave behind all of those childish emotions and to grow into our, our full stature of manhood. Again, it's that common theme which tells you that... Uh, Paul was recognizing that the audience of the Christians in the earliest days of the church needed to experience this themselves because they were coming out of cultures, especially the the Gentile uh, pagan converts to the church, were bringing with them a lot of baggage from aberrant lifestyles that they'd been taught all their life. And they had to set, you know, when you believe something for a long, long time, it doesn't just go away overnight. Oh, absolutely. And you know, and and we're going to see this more and more within the church, and it really is something. You know, I don't, I don't like. You know, I don't. I think our culture has become obsessed with this issue, and I think a lot of Catholics are uh, reluctant to even talk about it just because they're sick of it. And and frankly, I get sick of it too. <laughs> you know, yeah. and I wish it would just go away too. But we have to deal with it. You know, and and our our we have to hear about it from the pulpit. We have to hear about it in Catholic media the truth, you know, about this issue, because right now um, there is so much publicity, and, there, and, and our culture has really embraced and adopted this, and it's going to strike at the, at the Church, continue to strike at the Church. So we have to, you know, we have to prepare it, and we have to respond. Yeah, and, and it needs to be brave people that take a step forward in the midst of culture and stand up for what is true, even if that means suffering. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, that's 
That's the only way the truth will get out there or for or people to take a stand. And even in the brave way of, of friendships. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's what the catechism teaches, you know, that um, people who have this uh, particular affliction have to be accepted with respect and compassion, you know, and that's, that's you know, I've experienced that, you know, I, and you mentioned my godchildren, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, that's been an amazing thing that, that, <laughs> that beautiful Catholic families uh, have you know, not only open their families to me and their hearts, but have even asked me to fulfill that role, which which is just awesome, you know, awe-inspiring to me that anyone would ask me to do that. But um, it's been, again, a real step for me in fulfilling my own masculinity and just a real um, a, a real testament to their charity and their their faith. You know, that they're that they've been willing to uh, to reach out to me in that way. You know, there's that passage in uh, John chapter 8 with the woman called in adultery, right? And uh, they're all ready to throw stones. And Jesus' comment, of course, is, you know, he who was out of sin can throw the first stone. And uh, whenever it comes to establishing friendship with people who've changed, we've got to really remind ourselves, but for the grace of God, go I and recognize the mercy that God's shown us so that we can reach out to those who've gone through radical changes from lifestyles that maybe most of us weren't a part of, but that they've been changed and loved by God too. And so there's the foundation for true friendship in Jesus Christ. Um, John, uh, uh, Scott, I appreciate you joining us on the program. Oh, um, it's, it's always a, a real pleasure and a joy to, to speak with you. Oh, well, it's, you know, I... Um, I think about Romans 15. May God, may the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony that one with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, together you may with one voice glorify God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, it's you and me, Scott. We're called to be in one voice together in our in our love for God. So, uh, thanks for joining us today, Scott. Oh, thank you very much, Marcus. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. Oh, well, thank you. And, and all of you, thank you for joining us on this program. I want to remind you that next week on Deep in Scripture, our guest will be Mark McNeil. He's been a guest on the Journey Home program before, and uh, he's always a good guest. Thank you for this program. I hope it's been encouragement to you, and particularly because of the topic. If any of you listening or if your family members or friends struggle with this issue, please give us a call. Write us. Uh, we'll get you connected with Scott. I know that he'd love to be uh, a channel of God's grace for those who have struggled with the same issues that he did. God bless you. Thank you very much. See you again next week.